So today we are here with our second edition of The Last Dance Recap, episodes five and six, here on the Deep in the Pocket podcast. We're here with Jonah Gutherman, our NBA expert again. So let's get right to the point. Um, in episode five, uh, MJ, it really, the, the episode really highlighted MJ's cultural um, phenomenon around the world, not just the, U- the U.S., but the world itself. And uh, could you kind of just talk about how MJ kickstarted the basketball shoe industry into what it is today? And also, I know you're into sneakers as well. Would you rate the Jordan, uh, the Air Jordan 1s as some of the most iconic pairs of sneakers? Yeah, absolutely. So thanks for having me again. Um, and anyway, so yeah, so I do, I would say um, Jordan kickstarting the, the cultural you know, era of NBA style between the sneakers and, um, you know, just his icon, his, he was, you know, cementing his, his legacy within culture, within basketball and fashion. And again, like I said, with the sneakers, um, yeah, most, most like, uh, sneaker heads as the term is just like you called it, um, or you referred to it before, uh, sneaker heads do usually regard the Jordan one, uh, Air Jordan 1 retro sneaker as one of the best sneakers or retro sneakers of all time. Uh, I personally think they're a great shoe. I've never owned a pair myself, but I think they really just like epitomize the the classic retro Jordan. Like, this is who Michael Jordan is. This is who Michael Jordan, you know, this is who he is and this is who he, you know, was, I guess. Um and I think uh, Jordans in general, um, you know, like you asked, are they considered among, uh, you know, the shoe community to be one of the top shoes just in general ever? Um, yeah, actually, they are. I mean, Jordans are considered to be um, kind of like an icon. You know, you see people wearing Jordans today and it's like, oh, you know, there's a classic retro throwback shoes, whether the Jordan 1s to the Jordan 5s. Um, and I believe you know, they, they go up past 20. Um, there is plenty of Jordan sneakers. There's lots and lots of them. And uh, Jordan cementing himself within the culture and fashion industry. And then uh, with the shoes, that was, again, that was, you know, a extremely lucrative, multi, multi, multi-million dollar industry um, that eventually launched him to becoming the first NBA player who is, uh, in fact, a billionaire today, Michael Jordan, today. Yeah, um, I know his mom had a big impact in him signing with Nike instead of yeah. Adidas, and obviously that uh, that decision kind of changed the course of his uh, course of his life uh, outside yeah. of basketball. Yeah. Okay, so now a question for you. Um, okay, so also in the first episode, the first episode kicked off just right at the beginning of the episode. Um, they said, of course... Um, this episode is in memory to, you know, the late, great Kobe Bryant. Um, and it started off in February 1998 uh, with the NBA All-Star Game. And um, in the locker room, uh, uh, the Eastern Conference team, led, of course, by MJ, would, MJ was talking with uh, other players in the locker room. Reggie Miller was in there, amongst others. And, um, you know, he said... Um, I believe MJ said that little Laker boy is going to take everybody one-on-one. And of course he's referring to Kobe Bryant, who at the time was just a 19 year old kid. He was the youngest all-star in NBA history. Like what, what are your thoughts on that? And how, um, how do you feel that Kobe, how do you feel 
knowing that Kobe was respected right from the beginning, especially by someone as, you know, illustrious as Michael Jordan? Well, I think uh, back then the league was a lot older, I think, as Kobe referenced. Mm -hmm. So it was harder for Kobe to kind of come into the league as his own coming right from high school. Not a lot of the players had done that. So I think really Kobe's impact on the players uh, surprised them a little bit, seeing this brash, this brash young guy come in there thinking he's the best uh, against some of the all-time greats like MJ, Reggie, and so on. But um, I think uh, with your second question, I really think that uh, that really made an impression on not just MJ, but really around the league when you see this young guy coming into the league and tearing it up. I mean, he was really good from the start. He didn't get too many minutes his first year because he was kind of disrespected, um, didn't get to play as much as he wanted to. But once once a lot of those guys were – were gone after his rookie season. He really uh, obviously took control of that team and uh, with Shaq led, led the Lakers to a bunch of titles. But I think that uh, that was his really his first game where he really got under the lights and was able to show people what he was capable of. And MJ made a big impression on him, as I said before. But I think just, uh, I don't know actually how well Kobe did in that game, but I know just, just his impact there really had a big impact on the players and the fans when they saw this, you know, young guy come out of nowhere. Yeah, absolutely, and exactly like you said, it was on a big stage. I believe it was in in New York City in uh, at Madison Square Garden. So it's a huge place to um to play. I correct me if I'm wrong. Was it? It was in New York. Yes, yes, it was. Okay, right. Okay, so yeah, it was um that I mean that was a huge stage for Kobe to play on, especially as a 19 year old kid. You know, with Jordan, um. And Jordan, you know, Jordan showed that um, he still had he still had enough, you know, stuff in the tank. It was in 1998, toward the you know toward the later point of Jordan's career. Obviously retired, then came back. You know, early 2000s with the Wizards, but that was really the end of like you know peak prime MJ uh, as we consider him to be. And you know, he was scoring over Kobe and ended up winning the uh, MVP in that All Star game. So I think that just goes us to show us how. You know more. How furthermore, MJ's legacy was throughout the entire '90s, not just the beginning, not just the end, but he was just there, cemented the entire time. Yeah, no, I definitely. Um, it made a big impact on me when MJ. Everyone was like, "Why is he retiring?" In ninth, well, originally when he retired in '98, everyone was mm-hmm. wondering why he was done. You know, he's been playing so well because he always said he didn't want to go out, kind of like sputtering, like a lot of the other players. Like obviously, we know Kobe didn't have his the greatest final year. Um, so he didn't really want to go out like that. He wanted to go out on top, knowing that he could still play at least two or three more years. So mm-hmm. I think people were a little surprised afterwards when he ended up coming back to the Wizards. But at least at that moment, when after he retired in 98, um, he was staying true to himself because he wanted to show himself that he could play two, two to three more years since he was really arguably the best player in the game when he had his first retirement in 98. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. I, I exactly agree with what you are uh, saying. Yeah. So um, now we'll kind of drift into some of the uh, second episode, which episode six talked about the kind of shining a, a different light, a bad light on Jordan. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, everyone, everyone thought of him as this perfect guy. Everyone, everyone wanted to be like Mike, as the, uh, as the Gatorade commercial obviously said. But yeah. one of the things was uh, Sam Smith's book, who was a Chicago journalist, called mm-hmm. Jordan, named Jordan Rules. And uh, basically this book, Jordan Rules, had a negative effect on Jordan, Jordan's legacy, kind of portraying him as, him as a bad teammate, 
obviously in the episode they go into his gambling and the other stuff that um that he did that wasn't necessarily picture perfect of him. So mm-hmm. what do you uh think about uh really Sam Smith's book Jordan Rules and do you think this had a lasting impact on Jordan's legacy? So it's a good question. Um I would say that you know the book I think um like you said it sort of tried to in a way it it painted Jordan in a bad light not being the ideal, you know, like necessarily clean perfect you know perfectly perfect person i don't know how to say it any other way um and i think the book um ultimately on jordan's legacy i think that's a very small part of what people remember uh, ultimately as michael jordan you know we remember him as almost unarguably the best player of all time um and i, I do think you know the gambling and the you know other you know issues he was involved in Really, I don't think we're super serious. Um, like MJ said many times, and I, I, I kind of happen to agree with him himself. I don't think he really had a serious addiction to gambling. I think it was just a hobby that, you know, he enjoyed it, and um, you know, he had plenty of money. So I don't think um, I don't think it was a huge issue for him. Um, and I think um, I think that the book ultimately that Sam Smith wrote. Um, didn't have a huge negative lasting impact on Jordan's legacy. And I don't think ultimately it was that big of a deal, but obviously at the time it, it really kind of was pretty big of a deal. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, for us, obviously we weren't, um, we weren't alive or we don't really remember when Jordan was playing, obviously. Right. Um, but I'm, I was kind of wondering <clears throat> what impact it had on people who were alive at the time when this book Jordan rules came out and, uh, what they thought about Jordan's legacy uh, after that. But yeah, I think even if you were alive during this time, it probably, the book probably didn't have too much of an effect on your, uh, how you viewed Michael Jordan overall. Right. Right. I mean, it's Michael Jordan. It's not, you know, exactly. Exactly. And not, not many bad things are said about him, but um, so now moving on to uh, a little, little later in the sixth episode. So mm-hmm. they talked about uh, MJ's battles with the Knicks and that whole entire 93 playoffs that were really tough uh, on MJ and really took a toll on him. Can you, uh, I mean, for us, it's hard to understand because our whole lives, the Knicks have, I think, won one playoff game or they've, they've sucked to say the least. So, yeah. I mean, it was really weird watching as the, as a high schooler, watching the Knicks actually give Jordan's team a run for his money in 93, because we're not used to the Knicks being good at all. They've, They've been bad ever since we've been born. And then, yeah. you know, here they are competing with the Bulls. So what did you uh, think about that at all when you were watching the episode? Yeah, I thought that was super interesting. I mean, obviously, they had they almost had a sort of a big three of their own, of course, led by Patrick Ewing, and then with John Starks, and then with uh, Charles Oakley, who was known to be kind of a bruiser, uh, nasty player. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, John Starks, obviously, um, he was an all-star at one point uh, around that 93 um, time period. And, um, you know, Patrick Ewing and the rest of the Knicks, um, I thought it was interesting that they were able to give Jordan a run because, you know, like you said, for the past 15, 20 years, they have not been, you know, too great. Um, and I think, um, yeah, it was just crazy because that's honestly the the 90s um, were the last time the Knicks were super competitive. And in that 93 conference finals, uh, they actually went up to nothing in the series. It was two to zero. Um, and this is while, you know, Jordan was dealing with all this media controversy around this time period. Um, and uh, ultimately, 
uh, Jordan and the Bulls, uh, you know, they rallied back. They came back and won two straight. So he tied the series up at two apiece. And then they won two more straight. Uh, I believe they won two more straight and ended up beating the Knicks in that conference finals. Um, but ultimately, yeah, the Knicks gave them pretty, a good run for their money, especially with Jordan and Pippen and, you know, the rest of the, the Bulls squad. Um, that was, it was interesting to see. Yeah, no, definitely. The whole, the whole entire playoffs that year in 93 were tough. Um, yeah. do you want, do you want to touch at all? Do you have any questions for me on, uh, the 93 playoffs specifically his battles in the finals with, uh, Barkley and the Suns? Yeah. So like, I was just going to get right into that. Um, so with the Suns, um, in, in the interview, so this was mentioned in the, in the doc, obviously in, uh, episode six, in interview, in an interview right before game one of, uh, the 93 finals, I believe this is when Jordan or uh, the media described that Jordan sort of broke his silence of um, not talking to the media for uh, about two weeks or so with all the uh, gambling controversy and him going to Atlantic city with the gambling, et cetera. So um, in the interview, um, you know, Jordan was asked by the reporter, uh, you know, do you see Jordan described that he, when he leaves the game soon, he wants to remember of to be, he wants to be remembered to be on top. And the when he said soon, the reporter said could soon be even after, you know, this year. And it was only 1993. He's only been playing for nine years. And Jordan said, well, maybe, maybe it could be. Why do you think Jordan, um, like, you know, contemplated ending his career at such an early phase? Um, well, I think he was trying to play to the audience. I do not think mm -hmm. there was any chance he was going to, the greatest player of all time was going to end his career before he even hit his 10th season. Mm -mm. Um, yeah. I think that was just another thing with the media. He knew the media, whatever he said, the media would take up by storm. And oh, yeah. obviously this probably created a big hoopla and a lot of media talk and stuff. Mm -hmm. But let's face it. I mean, there was no re obviously he ended up leaving the game um, to go play baseball for the double uh, A White Sox. But mm -hmm. I don't think there was any chance of real chance of him leaving the game for good at that time. I mean, it didn't make any sense. I mean, there is a point that when you win three straight championships, how much more can you do? I mean, that's what I was thinking after he won the third. I mean, yeah, you can keep winning, but I think he's he showed how good he is. And I mean, after you win three, it's like you've been through this three times before. He ended up obviously winning three more, but um, exactly. I think he, he didn't have much else to prove to everyone. Everyone knew he was uh, incredible. But yeah, no, I just kind of think that was to get to get the media riled up. And yeah, absolutely. I totally stuff. agree. Yeah, no, I think because like you said, he was, I mean, really, even after winning uh, the first championship against the Lakers and then again against Seattle in 92, um, it's like he was, he was sort of on top of the basketball world then in 92. He was in 93 and ultimately was in 96, 97, 98. I mean, he was he was on top of the basketball world essentially for the whole pretty much the whole 90s. Yeah, exactly. And then um, and obviously he ended, ended his career not on the highest note with the Wizards, but um Obviously, right. he, he had a great career, and that's what this documentary is to show, his life in, in basketball and outside of basketball. So I thank, I thank everyone for listening to Episodes 5 and 6 recap of The Last Dance documentary. We'll probably be back here next week, same time, to recap Episodes 7 and 8 with my NBA expert, Jonah Gutherman. But until then, we'll see you next time. Stay safe.